You're listening to the Godfather and Gorney Podcast on Rivals.com with your host, the Godfather of Recruiting, Mike Farrell. <laughs> this podcast is taking a turn. And National Recruiting Analyst, Adam Gorney. We once spent a New Year's Eve together in Denny's in San Antonio, and it was really the low point of my life. That's right. Welcome into another edition of the Godfather and Gorney podcast. My name is Dave Barry, producer of the show, and I am joined by the Godfather himself, Mike Farrell, and Gorney, Adam Gorney, out on the West Coast. Guys, we got a lot to get to. We've had a lot more commitments rolling in. Uh, the Shea Patterson decision on whether he'll play this season should be coming in soon. Um, Jalen Hurts' dad is, is taking a page out of LeVar Ball's book. Um, so we got plenty to talk about. Mike, I'll let you get started. Uh, did you want to talk commitments first and what's been rolling in lately? Yeah, might as well talk about those. Alabama and uh, Notre Dame have done well. Um, we got another Tagovailoa. Did I pronounce that correctly, Gorney? No, Tonga Vailoa. What? It, when did it turn yeah, it changes Tonga? every year. The the That's, G is like an NG. It was never Tonga. Yeah, Tonga Vailoa. Like his dad's name is is spelled G A L U, but it's pronounced Nalu. Now you're making crap up. <laughs> Welcome to my world. Tonga v- v- whatever. Tal- Talia. Did I get that? Did I get that right? No, there's there's a silent Q in there. I think. I think. So. <laughs> yeah. he actually looks better than tua on film i don't know yeah it, i mean i know he's, he's not more, your, he's not your ranking anymore but uh right he's not your guy no he's anymore. not he is not my guy anymore he's in alabama now but um, he looks better because he's because he's a right-hander of course because, i was just gonna say that i was just gonna say he's a righty he does not have as impressive of a physical build as Tua does. Tua is an athletic-looking kid, throws lefty, moves really well. Much more of a dual-threat guy. I think Talia is more of a pocket passer. Better but arm. Really put, puts, better. yeah, I was going to say that better arm puts the ball on the money all the time. So, you know, I, I, I saw him two years ago in Las Vegas at a 7-on-7. When you see him, you're not blown away by how he looks, but then... When he's on the field, he's firing it all over the place and putting it right on the right on the numbers. So, uh, yeah, very impressive pickup. I don't think this is a guy Alabama would have taken just because they got Tua. I think they see something special in him. Obviously, they see something special in Tua because he'll be the starter from here on out, and we'll talk about Jalen Hurts being so famous of a transfer later. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, the brother is a big-time pickup, and I think he could be pretty special there. Better. Going to be better. See, I'm not on the Tua train. I'm not. I, I think you never had, were. No, I never was. And, and I think he had a very good ch- national championship second half, obviously, and uh, I, you know, led them to a national title. And Jalen Hurts looked horrible throughout the game and all that. But just not sold on lefties. Just that's just the way I am. That's the way I built. That's just the way it's going to be. Um, you know, n- never enamored with his skill set. It's it's an impressive skill set, but it didn't blow me away where people were saying this kid's a five star and oh my god he's gonna be a superstar blah 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 i don't know i, I watched this kid's film again now what i do is i watch initially i watch the film and then you know when we go into rankings meetings but when they re when they commit or recommit or decommit or commit for the 15th time or whatever <laughs> i always go back and watch it again mainly because we do these breakdown videos uh for each commitment but also because I rank the commitments every week, especially during this time of year. And watching this kid, loved it. Loved this film. A cannon of an arm. Just an absolute cannon. And can throw on the run. Not as athletic. Doesn't extend the play as much. But can throw on the run. But very, very accurate kid. So I think Alabama did well getting him. They got Shane Lee, who was a linebacker. By the way, you're going to hear cat and dog noises in the background. Uh, if you listen, last are you at a week, shelter or something? If you were one of the 300 people who listen to our stupid podcast every week, um, <laughs> you heard last week I got a new dog. The dog is absolutely infatuated with the cat, infatuated, and the cat for some reason likes to get as close as possible to the dog. And right now we got a big problem because the cat is in my office, and so is the dog. So you might hear some noises, a scuffle here and there. Uh, but they got Shane Lee, who was supposed to go to Penn State. I think a lot of people thought he was going to go to Penn State. Uh, the the up, uh, muscled up linebacker, the bowling ball with, with feet um, from Maryland. And that was a big get for them as well. And, and they got um, 
uh, Dazzlin Warsham from Alabama, 2020 wide receiver. So they did well. Notre Dame did well, uh, very well. I like John Olmstead, the offensive tackle they got. Uh, kid's got a nasty streak, plays for one of the North Jersey programs where they teach you to just, you know, punch people in the face and you got to like that, that type of stuff. Uh, Litchfield, Adjavon, uh, you know, big physical, not big, but a physical run support safety. Uh, undersized as a safety, but really comes downhill and knocks you around in the run game. So I think he's going to make them a more physical football team. And then Howard Cross the third. Anybody who, you know, followed the Giants back in the day know Howard Cross, his dad, was a tight end for the Giants. So he's got that bloodline. He's a defensive end, but uh, they got they got some important commitments as well. Penn State, Gorney's uh, alma mater. Got Cade oh, yeah. Wallace, who's a 330-pound uh, athletic offensive guard uh kid who can move mace funa committed to oregon which goes great with kenyon uh keon Ware hudson the defensive tackle that they got a couple weeks ago um a great one-two punch in the middle there on and on sheridan jones at clemson just a smooth corner texas a&m got two guys including a 6-6 wide receiver from georgia which shows that jimbo is going to recruit not just texas while he's at uh, Aggie land and on and on. So the lot of, lot of big time commitments. Um, I think there were by my count, 13 kids ranked four stars or higher who committed in the last week or so. And the rich are getting richer, but I really liked what Notre Dame and Alabama did this past week. And don't forget Jason Rodriguez, who just committed last night to USC is a six, six, 325 pound plays offensive tackle could move inside already. Looks like he's Headed for the NFL. I love this kid when I saw him. Absolutely huge. And he and Mike, he shakes your hand like Ari Quandro used to shake your hand. Oh god, and that, that means you break all your fingers. He, he breaks all your fingers, and he has his fingers up by your elbow. That's how big his hands are. He's got DJ um, Fluker banana fingers. <laughs> yeah, he does. It's I mean, amazing. He's a big, massive kid. Not a lot of fat on him. Great looking kid. He kind of looks like. Honestly, he kind of looks like Quentin Nelson in person. He doesn't play like that right now, but he's going to get there. I think. Well, nobody on the West fabulous. Coast plays like that at offensive line, right, Gorns? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, only kids like, from Jersey are tough. Only kids from Jersey play like Quentin Nelson, who would just rip your head off and crap down your throat. That's what we do well, that, in Jersey. That has been one of the theories, and something that you can write about on your three-point stance, Mike, is that USC has not struggled because of quarterback or skill players. The, the linemen out here are so much weaker and smaller than the linemen in the southeast and in the and in the Midwest that they can't keep up. You, you look at Alabama uh, two years ago against USC, what they did. You look at Ohio State last year in the bowl game, they absolutely annihilated USC's offensive line. It's not a skill position problem. It's, an, it's a line problem. It's, it's true because at the five-star challenge every year, there's a kid that I've never <laughs> seen that Gorney invites. And yeah. he, ends, he ends up looking like um, the Lannister... <laughs> dwarf Peter, on, uh, yeah. Game of Thorns. What's it? Peter Dinklage. So yeah, Peter Dinklage. Every year, there's some offensive lineman who's listed as a center comes out, and and I'm like, okay, well, who's who's that kid? Is that kid someone brother? He's like, no, that's such and such. He's uh, he's on the five star challenge roster. I'm like, that's Peter Dinklage, bro. Like, yeah, he's going to USC, <laughs> and every one of them is going to USC. Yeah. Um, and they usually show up in some sort of cat sweater or <laughs> something very not badass, very not Quentin yeah. Nelson-like, where Quentin Nelson yeah. would show up in just a skull and crossbones shirt and just <laughs> punch everybody in the face. And, uh, that's the difference. There's, there's a little cultural difference between offensive linemen in the Midwest and the East than there is in the South, too. I mean, down South, you had some great athletes. Some some big athletes, you know, the DJ Humphreys types, you know, couldn't break an egg. Uh, right. But, but you look at him and you're like, well, this kid's footwork is amazing. He's built like a tight end. He's going to be as athletic as can be. Once they teach him to get a little bit more physical, watch out. He's going to be great. And those guys end up, you know, uh, getting drafted on promise because DJ Humphreys had a very average career at Florida. And then I think he got drafted in the first round. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think Rodriguez could be that guy out here, though. He's he's a, built a little differently. He acts a little differently. He's not kind of clownish. 
Um, he's no nonsense, just lifts all the time. And so we'll see this kid be 6'6", 6'7", 345, 350 pounds by the end of his college career. And he could be in that, you know, early round discussion if he kind of pans out. Yeah, he's listed 308, and I was watching his film. <clears throat> he's listed 308 on Rivals, which... Uh, Hold on, let me change that right now. I'm yeah, updating. you, you got to fix that. It's just pure and accurate information is what it is. So. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, this kid's a monster. And he's still yeah, growing. He I mean, he's going to be uh, a 350-pound, just absolute six foot eight monster. And yeah, he's huge. We'll see. We'll see if he's... Uh, Zach Banner, or if he turns out to be something a little bit more physical than Zach Banner, so I think I think he will. Well, we'll find out. But yeah, that was another good one. And then Mark uh, Michael Tarquin, who's also a, a physical nasty kid down south, uh, committed to Miami. So they got they got a good commitment as well. So those were the big ones. Uh, but Notre Dame won the week with Alabama, I think, uh, overall. So I like what they're doing at, at, at Notre Dame. Uh, they're getting more physical, um, getting slightly more athletic. And is Olmstead the McGlinchy type, Mike? Nah, he's um, McGlinchy was six foot eight, about two hundred and sixty-five pounds in high school. Hmm. I mean, he was yeah. so tall and angular, and you know, a kid that you knew in three years it was going to take him to get three hundred twenty-five pounds, uh, and had much better athleticism and footwork than uh, Olmstead does. Olmstead a little bit more filled out, and Olmstead will punch you in the throat a little bit more at this stage than McGlinchey would. McGlinchey was more private school finesse type of kid back then. Mm-hmm. This kid plays for St. Joe's, and he will he will just smack you around. So that's what you got to like. And they're doing a great job building a tradition of offensive linemen at, at Notre Dame. Uh, we did our little series. We're going to get into that as well, which was you know QBU, running back U, uh, RBU, wide receiver U, O line U, blah blah blah. And um, I think in a, in a in a year, if we do that again, which Gorney never wants to do it again, um, <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm doing it because it was a ridiculous amount of work. But <laughs> a lot of people liked it. It was very well received. Um, I actually did a radio interview about it today. They had me on. Uh, um, What's Chris Childer's radio program? Do you remember the name? Rivals of it? Radio. That was a hundred years ago. <laughs> no longer Rivals Radio. Um, full ride, full ride with uh, Chris Childers. They, him and Andy Staples wanted to talk about the series that we did there uh, because a because there's nothing else to talk about in April because it's not real college football. It's it's glorified scrimmages where. You know, everything's scripted out and, you know, we were talking, Staples and I were talking about, you know, the coaches make the spring game about what the fans are worried about. So if the fans are worried about offense, it'll be a 52 to 49 shootout. Right. And then everybody will be excited. Like, oh my God, oh, we fixed the offense. We finally, you know, like Nebraska with uh, Martinez. What he run for three touchdowns and threw for one, and now you know he's the next Tom Brady and all that. And I, and I like the kid, I really do. I think he's going to be a very good quarterback for Nebraska. But you know, he just showcased his type of offense that he ran at UCF uh, and that he was involved with at Oregon, and they got all excited at Oklahoma. The final score after regulation was three to three. That's right, a defensive struggle. Our defense well, when... is so strong now. When Buki's on the field, nobody's scoring, Mike. Well, that's it. And so they played it up to to let the fan base know that, hey, defense is not a problem for us anymore. And it, it's all scripted and, you know, it's like yeah. wrestling a little bit. So uh, there's really not a lot to talk about with the spring games. I mean, you know, they're interesting. Uh, I, I think it's, it's a lot of posturing, you know. Um, you know yeah, I think it's a lot of, you know, I think it's a lot of, uh, coaches don't want to give free film to other coaches. So Georgia doesn't do a lot with Justin Fields because right. why would they show him what, what they'd want to do? So, And that's the, the point I was going to make is that, you know, you get a guy like Justin Fields that you're excited to look at and watch, and then it's, you know, a little bit vanilla and you don't get to see what you want to see. And you'll see it on Saturdays uh, during the fall, but you're certainly not going to see it right now. So, um, but back to that QB running back you series 
the QBU was easy to me with Cal, with Goff, and uh, and Aaron Rodgers. That was pretty easy. Um, NC State was in there. Uh, Michigan State was in there. Uh, Michigan, obviously, with Tom Brady, was in there. The RBU one was tough. Oklahoma is who I picked, but who I picked doesn't mean it's right. It's just sort of a guess based on, and we did it based on who's in the pros now. We didn't do it based on, you know, who's got the best running back on the Oklahoma squad, who's just won a Heisman, who uh, put the most first-rounders into the draft over the last 10 years, or, you know, the fact that O.J. Simpson and Marcus Allen played for USC. We did it based on current rosters, and if we knew they weren't retiring, then we kept them alive. Like Adrian Peterson, obviously, you know, we kept them alive. We know he's not retiring. Whereas Joe Thomas retired, so he did not count for Wisconsin. But Oklahoma was a tough one. Clemson, to me, was fairly easy at wide receiver, although USC and some others were very good in there as well. O-line U was Iowa. That was tough. Um, Wisconsin didn't make the top, the final five, and people were upset about that. But, again, had Joe and Thomas. And Oklahoma. Well, Oklahoma was maybe an oversight. You know, they don't have the depth. They don't have as the, the sheer numbers of offensive linemen that some of the other schools on that list had. But they yeah. certainly do have, you know, three of the best offensive linemen in in the NFL. So that could have been a little bit of an oversight there. Um, and then D-line you. Who did I oh, go yeah. with? I don't even remember who I went with. Uh, D-line. I don't remember. I should probably know that. I can't remember. You hear my cat? Did you go Alabama? I don't know. I'm going to look it up in a second. Can you hear the cat? The cat's losing I hear the cat. Mind. Oh, I'm looking it up now, yeah. I mean, you got to be kidding me. This cat has not said anything all day long. <laughs> it's waited for its moment here. And you went with USC. Oh, that's right. That's right. And that was a, that was a tough one. I thought, you know, because there were others certainly in there. But USC has a lot of talent. You can't really question that. Florida was in there. LSU was in there. Missouri, of course, produces a lot of guys. Uh, but with um, Everson Griffin, Jarrell Casey both being pro bowlers and Leonard Williams being a young, you know, budding future star, along with Horton, Rucker, and – Woods and others, I went with USC. So linebacker came out today. That's on the front of Rivals.com if you want to check it out. My cat implores you to do so. Um, I went with Georgia. And you can check and look why and see who else was in there. And Penn State did not make the final five, which everybody's very, very upset about. And then DBU will be the one, I think, that has the most interest. That's tomorrow. Um, For some reason, the bragging rights about DBU have been – off the chain between Florida yeah. State, Florida, and LSU, mainly those three schools. Uh, but you got Ohio State as well in there, and uh, there was another school, I can't remember who, uh, that made the Final Five. Um, I think the thing that stuck out the most about this whole series as I was going through it was that LSU was on almost every single one in the top five, and the and their, the reflection of them on the field is not what they've produced in the nfl it's yes yeah, the same as um the draft every year you know i mean they're yeah usually producing high level draft picks and guys that go in the first and second round and you know but the one thing they never develop are quarterbacks you know you, you just don't they certainly weren't on qbu i'll tell you that right much. so you know when you have great wide receivers you know like these guys named Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham who played together, which is unbelievable to think, and you have right. no wide receiver to throw the football to them, um, you're in big trouble. And if you run yeah. the ball, you know, 75% of the time, yeah, you're going to produce great running backs. Um, you know, very good running backs, but you're also very limited in your balance on offense. And then the defense can't keep you in the game all the time. So, that's the difference between Alabama and LSU is Alabama and LSU both put a bunch of guys in the pros, but Alabama knows how to win with them, and LSU does not. And I don't see that changing under Ed Orgeron at all. I think what's, what we're starting to see is Georgia, who is in there for quite a few categories as well, uh, is going to be the one that takes that step up and already has taken that step up in the SEC. 
and is going to be a very dangerous program because they've got so much talent they've produced over the years, so much of a recruiting advantage in state that, um, you know, I think uh, if anybody is going to unseat Alabama, it's definitely going to be Georgia. But it's not going to be LSU. And LSU has the number one home state recruiting territory uh, advantage uh, of everybody. I think I did that a few weeks ago. LSU was number one. Uh, Ohio State was number two. Georgia, I believe, was number three. And then I had I had USC in there at four or five. I can't remember which. Even though there's so many schools in California that are FBS quality schools, USC just gets who they want and everybody else gets the leftovers. Um, and then I think I might have Texas as number five. And no Florida teams? No domination. You know, I mean, you yeah. go back and forth. Miami's now, I think, the dominant program in the state when it comes to recruiting. I think Florida State was for a while, and then under Urban Meyer was Florida. You know, and, and everybody comes in there and steals kids like crazy. Um, so nobody dominates. If you had a run, like if Urban Meyer stayed at Florida and, and he was still there all these years, I think you'd probably have a home state advantage for Florida because he recruits, uh, you know, he's the best recruiter in the world. Um, but, you know, once he left and Florida State started taking over with Jimbo, and now Mark Rick's starting to take over a little bit with Miami. There's no advantage there. So, so anyways, that's a series we did. I, good luck finding it. The best way to find it is to actually just put in QBU, comma, rivals in Google or something like that. I mean, this stuff falls off the front page so fast because we have so much content on here. I'm already looking at LBU. You know, it's the top one. By tomorrow afternoon, it'll probably be our 15th story. Yeah, because um, we have so many stories on recruiting updates. We have stories on the draft. We have stories on um, we have columns. We have camp stuff. We're just nuts and crazy with content, as Gorney will tell you. Can you promote my Josh Allen feature where I sat on conference calls for about 4,000 hours to get these quotes? Let's see if anybody's reading that. Let's go to the board. Well, it's Josh Allen, so, you know. Uh, well, let's see. What's it called? Wait until, wait until Baker Mayfield comes out. Wyoming's Josh Allen keeps NFL draft analysts guessing to the end. It doesn't look. <laughs> that's 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 a long title. It is long. Wyoming. But, oh, it's not even on our. It's not even on our top stories, bro. Yeah, I I'll need give to it a plug. It. I mean, it's probably in. It's slotted, right? Oh, it's slotted. It's up there. There it is, top right. The interesting story on this is as you go through talking to, I was on conference calls with Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay, Mike Mayock, Kirk Herbstreit. I got, you know, obviously we've talked about it and I got a quote from you about it. You know, Kuyper compares him to Matthew Stafford. Mayock says he has the strongest arm since Jamarcus Russell, but Jamarcus Russell was a bust. Uh, and then Mayock goes on to say why Josh Allen won't be a bust. Uh, Kirk Herbstreit had him fifth of uh, the five quarterbacks. Um, everyone seems to, uh, think differently of this kid and, and you don't, you're not crazy about him. So it going into the draft, he could be the number one pick. It looks now like Sam Darnold is sort of trending up as this week goes on and then Allen could fall a little bit, but, uh, we could, we, we'll see what happens with him because obviously people aren't sold completely on him. Well, the, the, what I've, what I've heard is that. It's either going to be Darnold or Allen, obviously at number one. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if Allen will fall. The guy who, the guys who are in jeopardy of falling are Rosen and Mayfield. So right, let's say Darnold goes one, the Jets could very well take Josh Allen. Yeah. Then you've got the Browns have already taken a quarterback. The Broncos might not take a quarterback. They'd love to trade out of there. Uh, so it depends on if somebody's willing to trade up to get Mayfield or Rosen, but one and of those. And then it looks like a quarterback doesn't go till twelve. Yeah, twelve at the Bills or fifteen at the Cardinals. Yeah, so we and could the, be staring yeah. at somebody like Aaron Rodgers when we were staring at him at the draft between every pick because there was some talk that Rodgers was going to go, I think top two, maybe one. And he slid all the way to twenty three or twenty four or something like that, and in between every pick. So it could be Rosen 
Um, I would slide Mayfield more than Rosen, but uh, again, there's so many question marks about Rosen and his attitude and, you know, they're polar opposites as far as competitive nature to the minds of scouts. You know, like Mayfield will run through a wall and he'll play uh, special teams if you need him to. Yeah, yeah. And Rosen is the kid who sits in the hot tub. So well, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Comp- I don't know if Baker Mayfield's more competitive because he acts up on the field. Josh Rosen just has a different demeanor about him. I think Josh Rosen plays a football game like Tom Brady plays a football game. He's calm and he doesn't freak out and Baker Mayfield freaks out and grabs his crotch and does all those kinds of things so it's just a different mindset I wouldn't say they're one is more competitive than the other but that's what the NFL thinks I don't know so that's why I think Rosen could slide but but I think yeah. a, a landing place at, <clears throat> at 15 at the Cardinals would be a good landing place uh for Rosen I mean they've got some talent on that team um obviously David Johnson the running back and you know, they've got some defensive players. So, you know, falling is not the worst thing in the world. You lose a lot of guaranteed money every pick you fall. But, um, you know, I don't know. If I'm Josh Rosen and I fall to 15, Here, I don't know. It's better than being drafted by the Browns. Here's a question for you. Which of those two, if they went to a bad franchise, would implode quicker, Rosen or Mayfield? Who has more patience to rebuild a franchise? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I would say Mayfield would implode quicker. Um, I just He strikes me as the type of guy that will not accept losing and is going to argue with everybody. And, yeah. and maybe, maybe not blame everybody, but really have a difficulty in dealing with losing. Um, whereas Rosen, who is very laid back, reminds me a little bit of Jared Goff. Jared Goff, you know, not personality-wise. You know, Jared Goff is obviously much more politically correct than right. Joss Rosen, but the type of kid who went 1-11 at Cal and was like, yeah, it'll be all right, you know, has that sort of laid-back California mentality. I know Rosen's from the East Coast, but... um. I could see him rolling with the punches a little bit better than Mayfield. Yeah, and it's interesting because Rosen picked a school. I mean, he turned down Michigan, uh, basically, to go to UCLA, which didn't exactly have a winning tradition. Um, So, you know, I think they would both be well-served by dropping because I think both of them would probably... Rosen would try to take over the general manager role and Mayfield would go into the general manager's office and flip over the desk. That's the kind of situation we'd probably be dealing with so i think if both fell that they'd be better better served it would be it's interesting to think you know at five or at four or or, or the jets at three do i take a guy like baker mayfield who's going to come in here like a tornado do i take josh rosen who's going to come in here and think he knows it all do i take josh allen who's completely unproven on any serious level uh and the jets will probably screw it up but it's an interesting debate about if you fall, who does it serve better? And it probably serves Rosen and Mayfield both. Yeah, and, uh, you know, three of the five will probably suck. You know, yeah. throwing Lamar Jackson in the mix there. Um, I mean, you look at the 2016 draft, and you got Goff and Wentz both look good. But then after that, you know, Paxton Lynch was a first-rounder. Broncos are already in the market for a quarterback. Yeah. Christian Hackenberg was a second-rounder. He's not in the mix. Jacoby Brissett, nobody sees anything out of him as far as a potential franchise guy. Um, after Winston and Mariota, you had Garrett Grayson and Sean Mannion and Bryce Petty <laughs> uh, in 2015. So, you know, there, there's just usually a couple guys that do well and then the rest of them stink. And because it's so top-heavy at quarterback this year, um, you know these guys are going to be taken a little bit higher than they should. I think it's going to be a little bit like 2011, where you know Cam Newton was number one, then he had Jake Locker who sucks, Blaine Gabbert who sucks, Christian Ponder who sucks. Uh, you had four quarterbacks taken in the first round, three of them stink, one of them turned out to be a franchise guy. Um, 
I think with five, you'll get two that turn out to be potential franchise guys, and then the other three suck. And and we don't know which ones. We have no idea. Nobody knows. Scouts yeah. don't know. NFL GMs don't know. They can do all the research they want. They can hire detectives. They can do background checks. They can interview them and ask them about what if you were a tree, what tree would you be, all that other garbage that goes on, and they have no idea which one of these guys is going to suck. So you and I have gravitated towards Darnold sucking. At least I have. I, don't I, know I have not gravitated agree. toward that. All right. Um, well, Darnold, Darnold's going to suck. Um, Josh Allen's going to suck. And Lamar Jackson's going to suck. And I think Mayfield and Josh Rosen will be the two good ones. That's, that's my yeah. opinion. And as it usually goes, it's usually like that third, fourth, fifth round guy, the Mason Rudolphs or the Kyle Aletta kid from Richmond or some other kid that pops up and becomes something special in the group. And we'll look back and laugh that they weren't even mentioned among the top quarterbacks. But uh, yeah, I would say if two are if if, if two were going to be stars, I would go with Rosen and probably. Mayfield, but Darnold is close. Darnold. Um, I know. I was hearing today, you know, Todd McShay was saying Darnold's a three-sport guy and he never focused on football and he wasn't, he didn't grow up in the quarterback, you know, guru uh, camps and he's new to football and he was injured his junior year and the things he's done being so new to football are amazing and miraculous and I'm like, you know, he can make great plays. There's no doubt about it. There are times where it looks like he's dead in the pocket and he comes out alive and makes a tremendous throw downfield. <clears throat> but he could also fumble with those little fragile hands of his and, and he throws horrible, horrible picks. I mean, it's not – Yeah. They're not, you know, wow, that was a great play made by the defensive back or the linebacker. It's just awful decisions. So, you know – is that a factor because he's so new to football because he didn't grow up? You know, I mean, Josh Rosen played tennis until he was 12 years old. Right. He's not right. exactly immersed in football since he was three years old. So I, I see these things and I just, I don't understand how any of these guys, you could just say, this is the number one pick because he's got the least amount of flaws. I, that's what he said. He goes, he, you know, the safest pick is Sam Darnold, and I'm like, that's the guy who turned the ball over like 23 times. Right, yeah, I don't know. He's not a safe pick, that's for sure. I don't think he's very safe at all. But what I do think about him is that if he goes to Cleveland, and you know they're not going to be great next year. You know, they're you know maybe win four games, whatever. I don't even know what the over-under is on Vegas on them, if they've even put that out yet. But he will have Corey Coleman. He will have Josh Gordon. He will have Jarvis Landry. There will be people around him that he can throw the ball to. Um and I'm thinking of the Sam Darnold of two years ago, not last year, when he had a lot of young receivers and uh, and all those kinds of things where he was... I don't know if he was forcing the ball. I think he probably was. There were some very bad throws. The fumbling is absolutely a concern. Um, but if he goes to Cleveland, he'll sit behind Tyrod Taylor for a year or two, then slowly inch in and take over that, that franchise. Um, and he's not a kid, I don't think, that needs to go in day one be... The starter be in the mix. He'll go in there and learn, and then take over down the road. So, you know, I I don't think he's going to be a, a superstar in the NFL, but I do think he has a better chance of doing that than Josh Allen does. Hey, how about this for throwing money away? You want to throw some money away? Sure. Here's the odds on who will be the second overall pick in the in the NFL draft. <laughs> Mason Rudolph is sixty to one odds. Oh my God. So you could take. As much money as you want, and throw it on Mason Rudolph, and um, just lose it all. There is he no be, chance. How is that even sixty to one? How? how is yeah, that it should be like not? six thousand to one. It should be six million to one. It's never, yeah. ever, 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 ever going to happen. And we're talking second overall pick, so we're talking that the Giants are so in love with a quarterback. First of all, because most of them, most people think they're going to take Barkley now. Yeah, that they're going to pass on. You know, potentially Darnold or Allen or Rosen or Mayfield or Lamar Jackson to, to take Mason Rudolph, sixty to one. That's crazy. And this is good money here. The over under on the number of wide receivers selected in the first round is two and a half. The over is plus one ten. You don't make a lot of money betting the over. 
and that's crazy. Yeah. Um, I think there's going to be one wide receiver taken, and it's Calvin Ridley. I don't see D.J. Moore or Cortland Sutton or, or Christian Kirk or James Washington or any of these guys going in the first round. Yeah, I think D.J. Moore has a very decent chance. I would be surprised if someone takes Cortland Sutton, especially because there could be two tight ends taken. So that, that kills the wide receiver group um, late in the late in the first round. And if five quarterbacks go in the first round, that really kills the wide receiver group too if it's a weak wide receiver group. So you're talking about seven picks out of 32 could be tight ends or quarterbacks. Uh, maybe two running backs if you go Barkley. Maybe three if you go Michelle. So we're talking like a third of the first round is already gone. And I don't see a third. I don't see Cortland Sutton getting off the board in the first round. And you can also throw your money away if you want to on Michael Gallup and Anthony Miller, twenty-five to one odds for Michael Gallup and forty to one odds for Anthony Miller being the first wide receiver taken in the NFL <laughs> draft, which is amazing to me as well. So some of these odds are pretty interesting. I wish they'd do more of them, um, yeah, like offensive linemen and stuff like that. But I mean, some of these things. I mean. Mason Rudolph, 60 to 1 to be the second overall pick in the draft. That is just whoever's making that up is smoking something pretty good. Uh, so moving on. Shea, let Shea play. That's my chant. You okay. Like what do you think? Let Shea play. It's, it's, it's catchy. Might as well let him play. Here's the thing. Whether I know I know they want, you know, they're talking about changing the you know, the, the transfer rule and allowing people to transfer immediately, which I don't agree with. I think that would be just ridiculousness. And there'd be so much tampering, there's no way the NCAA would be able to keep up with it. But, you know. Because the they guy, keep up on everything else. Right. The guy was at Ole Miss. Ole Miss got hammered. Bull bands and scholarship reductions and all this other stuff. The athletic director did come out and mislead everybody. By saying, oh, most of this stuff is not football, most of this stuff is Houston not, most of this stuff is not Hugh Freeze. Just let the kid play. Let him get out of there. Old Miss is happy because they might even have a better quarterback than Shea Patterson under center right now. They got two four-star kids, one from last year and one for this year. So they're they're not hurting a quarterback for the future. Um, and Michigan could use the kids, so let them play. So... That decision should come down soon this week. Apparently, Shea Patterson wrote a nine-page letter to the NCAA calling out Hugh Freeze as a liar and saying that uh, for 16 months or something like that, he lied to him and strung him along and told him that nothing would ever come out of these sanctions, uh, out of this investigation, and there'd be no sanctions. And he was he was misled, misled. Um, <laughs> so, you know, Shea Patterson, should we should know. I think it would be a stunner. They want to get as far away. They should want to get as far away from this old Miss situation as possible since they took forever for the investigation. Let's just end this thing. Let's not drag this out and say, oh, we're not going to let Shea Patterson play. He's going to have to sit out a year because then it just drags up all the old stuff of old Miss and all that other garbage. Just move on. Let the kid play. Everybody's happy. It's called a win-win. Uh, the NCAA is not really good at win-wins, but I think that that's what they should do. Yeah, uh, I think they're going to, too. I can't see the PR them being engaged in a PR nightmare that would be that one of their coaches at Old Miss, you know, was calling up hookers and, you know, on recruiting trips or allegedly doing whatever he was doing with escort services and all of those kinds of things. And Patterson comes out and you know, says he wasn't trustworthy or that he, the discovery, he wasn't the trustworthy straight laced role model that he claimed to be. Um, I just don't see any reason why this should be, um, any coach. If you're 23 years old, you could leave old miss and go to Michigan and become the coach and be, you know, lauded as a great person who's moving on in the world. But if you're 20 years old and you try to do the same thing as a player, you have to sit out a year. Now, what sense does that possibly make? It shouldn't, it shouldn't be like that. Of course kids should be able to transfer and play right away. Uh, there should be no, there is no role for coaches, for administers. If you're the president of a school, you can go. Everybody says, pick a school because of the school. If the dean of the business school leaves for another school, should he have to sit out a year and not make salary 
for that year because you picked the school because of the business school? No. Everybody should have the right to do and go where they want to do without penalty. Mm. Shea Patterson, let Shea play. Let Shea play, but I like the penalty. And the reason I like the penalty is because there's so many babies out there in the world in, in this age group that if the first time they get yelled at by a coach, they're yep. going to gonna cry and they're going to say, I'm transferring. Or the first time they get benched. Or the first time they don't win the starting job then when they think they should, that they're just going to, you know, quit and transfer. And I think you'd get a lot of knee-jerk reactions. I think you get a lot of kids transferring out of programs. I think you'd, you'd probably have some depth concerns um, if you didn't have a penalty at certain programs if they did lose kids. Now, again, the argument against this is Penn State allowed kids to transfer without penalty after the whole big uh, Sandusky thing, and it wasn't like a, a mass exodus. Not everybody right. took off. Um, you know, so people saying that there shouldn't be a waiting period point to that and say, well, if they didn't leave then, then they're not going to leave now. But I still like the penalty just because – you know, listen. If you if you sign up for something, you got to show some. This is where we can get into Jalen Hurts' father. You got to show some pride, some level of being able to handle uh, adversity. And there's two things about what Jalen Hurts' father said. If you missed it, his father said two things. Uh, the first was, "I told Jalen you effed up." You open the door and put yourself in this situation, which I agree with 100%. Jalen Hurts, his poor play led to this quarterback controversy. It led to this poor play. Poor play by leading his team to the national championship and then being down 13 points at halftime. Right, but he did look horrible in that first half. He did. They were not going to move the football with him, period. They were not going to make halftime adjustments. They were going to lose that football game. They're going to lose the national title if they did not make a move. It was right. just he looked awful, and he didn't really progress that much from his freshman to his sophomore year when it came to downfield passing at all. I expected him to get much better. He did not. So he put himself in this situation. I agree with that. That's tough love. You know, I'm not going to feel sorry for you, Jalen. You're the one who effed up. You opened the door. You put yourself in this situation. But then he says, uh, his son wants to play, obviously. Uh, and he could play at almost any other program in the nation, even saying that if Jalen decided to transfer, he'd, quote, be the biggest free agent in college football history. So what he's essentially saying is, Jalen, you screwed up. You put yourself in this situation. Now you got to deal with the competition. But, oh, by the way, if you don't win the job, we'll just transfer. We'll just quit, and we'll pull a Blake Barnett and just cry baby our way out of this and go play someplace else. And that's not... The way it works. That's why guys like Mitch Trubisky, I actually respect. He, you know, didn't transfer when he didn't win the job. I think it was Marquise Williams was the quarterback there. Um, he could have just packed his bags and said, "I'm out of here. I'm going someplace else." He sat. He waited his turn. He put in a good season. He ended up as the number two overall pick in the draft. He's making millions of dollars. Um, you know, where is fighting through adversity? You're one play away. I mean, after it was announced that they'd be battling for the starting position in the spring game and, and throughout the spring, Tua hurt his thumb. I think it was his thumb, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hurts is a starter instantly. Yeah. Now, Tua could hurt his thumb in game one of next season, and the backup is the guy who's got to lead the, the team to a national championship. So I don't like this. We'll just transfer if it doesn't work out. That's why mm-hmm. I like the sit out of here. If you're going to be a baby about it, sit out of here. Well, here's the thing, too. And, you know, Jalen Hurts' dad is basing this that we're going to transfer if he doesn't win the starting job off of one half of a football game uh, that Tua played in. There's nothing guaranteed at Alabama. And this kind of makes the decision far easier, if you ask me, for Nick Saban. Who would want to deal with this guy? I mean, you have probably a better quarterback. I had read a bunch of stuff that a lot of people on the team and around the program felt that Tua probably was the best quarterback there to begin with anyway, and that, you know, Hertz was only playing because he had been the starter, and there was a little bit of loyalty there, and 
Uh, he hadn't lost games, and I think he was 26-2 and two as a starter or something like that. And But who would want to deal with this? You know, every time Tua throws a bad pass, Jalen Hurts' his dad is out there saying, put my kid in, this and that, whatever else. It kind of reminds me of Kenny Trill Hill. Uh, and I don't think Jalen Hurts is, you know, that kind of kid or has a, a dumb nickname or anything like that. But it's just, you know, Nick Saban doesn't have to deal with this. He's got a an excellent quarterback in Tua. He can go right to him and not have to deal with this drama and let Jalen Hurts go. If, 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 if I don't know if Jalen Hurts even feels this way. Uh, I know his dad came out and said some stupid stuff, but um, I think Jalen Hurts is right in the mix for that starting job, and he is one play away. I mean, Tua has played one half of a football game, basically, in his career at Alabama. There's no guarantee that three or four games in, he's going to be anywhere near what he played against Georgia in the national championship. And Nick Saban would be would ha- have every right to put Hurts back in the game. So this is ridiculous. But but again, I will say, kids should have the right to transfer to whatever program they want, play without penalty, and uh, let Jalen Hurts leave and play without penalty. Well, and here, let's say Nick Saban heard this and said to Jalen's father, oh, you know what? We don't want to lose your son. He's the starter. It's over. He's... I've changed my mind. He's going to be the starter because you th- you threatened to leave. How could he possibly do that? Right. He, he couldn't do that. And would no. would would Hertz want that? Would right. he want to win the job that way? So go out, compete, look better than you did in the spring game because he looked like crap in the spring game. Win the job back. If you don't win the job, do what he did. He, now he handled everything with absolute class. In the national championship game, he was cheering for Tua. He was yep. the first one off the sideline to give him a high five when he made a big play. He was celebrating with his teammates. He wasn't pouting. Everything about what Jalen Hurts' body language told me about him when he got benched is that this is his dad talking and not the kid. Um, so I think the kid should right. just go out there, try to win the job. If he doesn't win the job, you're the backup. And. You're called upon when needed, which in college football, you know he's going to be needed. But uh, I don't know. I don't think it's – what's his name, Dave Barry? Is it Lonzo Ball? Yes, Lonzo Ball. The is dad the, is LeVar. Is that the fa- LeVar. LeVar, this is the father, right? Yes. I don't think it's to that level. No. Uh, but it is pretty annoying. So I, I get annoyed pretty quickly. Nobody can be as annoying as LeVar Ball. Nobody. <laughs> I mean, that guy, I wouldn't draft his kid if he was the next Matthew Johnson. I have no idea no. why the Lakers drafted him to put themselves in that position. Doesn't he have other kids? He has two other sons. He pulled them out of high school. Yeah, and now they're playing in South America. No, I think they're in <laughs> Venezuela or Argentina now playing. Well, one's coming into the draft, and he's not going to get drafted, right? Uh, that's the rumor. And he says that all three of his kids are going to play for the Lakers. Yeah, sure. So three out of 12 of the Laker roster will be balls. Who I think they're all around the same size, right? Balls or the Lakers? The, the, the balls are smaller, balls. yeah. <laughs> you just wanted me to, to drop balls. Yeah, they are. You wanted that drop. Um, so the Lakers... Have twelve guys that are all different sizes. The balls yes. <laughs> have guys that are similar sizes. Similar. Yeah, they're all balls. pretty similar. <laughs> and they're similar size to each other. I think. I don't know. You, I don't know usually, usually. I don't know. I don't know anything about the <laughs> the Ball brothers, to be honest with you. But this this to me was just annoying and i'm sure nick saban just rolled his eyes and says oh geez like 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 what this guy says i'm gonna really care about like go away right so exactly that was my get off the lawn moment i don't want to talk about the spring games the spring games were just mainly a whole lot of um i don't know it kind of annoyed me that we didn't get to see as much as we wanted to see of certain players yeah yeah, you know, it, it seems like spring games have really that. taken a back seat to uh, to the importance that they used to have. Kids used to go on a lot of visits during spring break weekends and be excited about the team. And a lot of schools had ultra competitive spring games. And now it's just kind of like, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. We're we're done with 
getting kids hurt during the spring. Yeah, and they'll cancel the spring game in a second. Yeah, and yeah. There's like a be, storm 500 miles away, and the, the, the spring game is canceled. Used to be, if you canceled a spring game, people's lives would be over. But I will say, some of the attendance numbers are just amazing. I mean, Georgia had 82,000 people at yeah. their spring game. That's ridiculous. And and of course, Nebraska had 86,000 people at their spring game. That is just unbelievable. So, if fan bases won your national championships, those Huskers and them dogs. They would be winning a lot of them, but uh, I think one's pretty close to winning one. I won't say which of the two, but uh, one of them's <laughs> pretty close. The other one, not so close. Although, I do believe in Scott Frost. I think he's going to be good for that program, and I think they're going to be much more competitive. So, we don't need to talk about the draft anymore, do we? I- I'm actually not even excited it's here. It's been kind of the same discussion over and over again. These yeah. quarterbacks have just dominated everything, and I'm so tired of hearing about, you know, can Lamar Jackson play quarterback or should he switch positions? Josh Rosen, does he love football? Baker Mayfield, can he keep himself together? Blah, blah, blah. Um, what's his face compared? Mel Kuyper compared Josh Allen to Matthew Stafford, as you mentioned. And but Brent then Favre. He, Brett Favre. I mean, there's no comparison <laughs> between the two. There's no comparison. I mean, how do you even compare the maybe the arm strength, but physically? I mean, I just don't understand these comparisons. And and he was like, like a sort of a freewheeling, improvising. Josh Allen isn't that guy. He had to be at times because he had no wide receivers. But I, I don't see him as a Brett Favre personality or a Brett Favre type of quarterback at all. I'm just so tired of it. I'll be watching the NFL Network with Mike Mayock on Thursday night, much more so than uh, ESPN. Fox? Well, Fox has the uh, is doing the first round, so that'll be interesting. Oh, they are? ESPN has, ESPN's got coverage, right? I think they have coverage, but the actual picks are on Fox this year. Huh. So who's their expert? Uh, I don't know. Maybe Joel Klatt? I, I've seen him doing a lot of stuff. Huh. Well, that'll be... I'll still be on the NFL Network watching Mike Yeah, Mayock. I'm going to NFL Network. I like Mike Mayock. It, the greatest thing behind the scenes, conference call with Mike Mayock. And when you're on these conference calls, they go, okay, question from this person. And when Mike Mayock is done answering, then there's like a, a slight pause, maybe like a second or two. And then the, the moderator comes back on and goes, next up is this person from this newspaper. And every time Mayock was done answering a question, he'd go, next question, please. Next question, please. It was the greatest thing ever. He just can't stop himself. <laughs> yeah, he's, he, he was rolling, man. He was going through it fast. That guy loves his football. And we all know he went to where? Boston College, where smart people go. That's right. We can end it there. <laughs> yeah. That's a mic drop. <laughs> We're done. All right, good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, let's remind everybody you can find us on Twitter at Adam Gorney, at Rivals Mike, and at Real Dave Barry. We will see everybody again next week. <laughs>